welcome to the sanctuary a safe space to speak from the heart i'm your host israel and my guest today is my friend filmmaker someone that really loves playing with tiny little figures <laughs> the maker of uh, benny langel wants to know who killed benny langel awesome filmmaker awesome human being jackie torrance thanks for coming to the sanctuary today israel thank you for having me it's true i am a human being and i'm happy <laughs> to be here today uh and actually uh the 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 uh, film started out as a short called Bernie Langell Wants to Know Who Killed Bernie Langell. It's now a feature called Bernie Langell Wants to Know What Happened to Bernie Langell, just to right. distinguish it a bit yes, from the actual yes, feature. Yes. What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. The short, the short was amazing. Loved it. And I remember Thank we you. talked about the short and you had this plan to make the feature. So what was the journey between the feature being done, showing it at hot dogs and all these places, and then... What was the journey between then and making the feature? Oh my gosh, it's been a long journey. It's been actually all told a 10-year journey wow. because, uh, I mean, I know you're a filmmaker too, so we tend to, sometimes we find the story first, sometimes we find the concept and then the story. For me, I usually find the story first, but this happened a bit backwards in that I found the concept first. I had I was doing a radio documentary for CBC on artists who create in miniature. There's a bunch of artists who gather once a year in in uh, Annapolis Royal. They come from all over the world, and once a year they gather together to build tiny things. And uh, I was uh, doing a radio documentary about that. And uh, also at the same time, I was studying the work of a woman named Frances Glesner Lee. Um, she was basically around. Uh, in the 1920s, she wanted to be a criminologist, but because she was a woman at that time, they said, women don't have careers, go uh -huh. have a hobby. So she started building uh, miniature sets based on real life uh, gruesome crime scenes, and they became known as the Nutshell uh, Diaries of Unexplained Death. And they, she became a criminologist. She's now known as the mother of forensic science. And oh. those miniatures that she made are still trained to use detectives today. So around the time I was doing this documentary on artists who create a miniature, who meet from all over the world, they come together once a year in Nova Scotia, I was also studying on the work of Francis Glesner Lee. And I was really inspired by the work that these artists who created miniature, the work that they were doing. And I was really inspired by Francis Glesner Lee. And I thought to myself, I want to do a documentary film where I use miniatures to do the reenactments for the documentary story. So the concept came first, that came mm. 10 years ago. And then essentially I, had to find the right story. I knew I wanted a subversive story. Like miniature art is often associated with childhood and it's often associated with women. And because it's associated with both those things, it's often dismissed, but mm -hmm. uh, it's an incredible art form. And so I knew if I was going to do a film that used miniatures, I needed to find a story that went against what you might expect to see, uh, how you might expect to see miniatures used. So I knew I was looking for a strange, um, subversive kind of story. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until 2016, when I was on Twitter one night, that this man I did not know, named Bernie Langell, started sending out a series of tweets to the public saying, my grandfather, who I never met, died 50 years ago under really weird circumstances. 
does anybody out there have any information that I might start to put together the pieces of this family puzzle? And as soon as I saw his tweet, I contacted him and I said, hey, I'm I'm a storyteller. Do you want to get together and have coffee and maybe talk about this being a documentary? And so uh, because the concept to use miniatures to tell the reenactments was so unusual, I knew that we would have to make a a short film first, like a proof of concept first. Um, And so uh, we did that. We applied for one of the last Bravo Factual grants. We made a short film about it, and then we shopped that short film around. The the short went up to Hot Docs, and uh, we went up there basically saying, uh, does anybody want to make a feature out of this? And we were lucky when uh, Jordana Ross of the Doc Channel uh, said, I want to make a feature out of this. And uh, so then we started, uh, you know, going around collecting our funding for that. Um, Actually, you were at Hot Docs um, the year we went up with our short um, that Mm -hmm. we pitched it. You were there with your film. And... uh, uh, so then we finally collected all the money to to start making our feature, and then a uh, global pandemic hit, and <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we we did the we filmed the majority of this film in the uh, global pandemic, and uh, wow. but that is a big long answer to how did this film come mm. about? It took ten years for this film to come about. Well, I mean the the work and the dedication is. <laughs> shows when you see the film and I'm wondering um did shooting in the pandemic affect how you made the film in any way yes it affected everything and you've been filming in the pandemic right and you've been filming with actors so I found like everybody's been strange in this global health crisis. We've, we've never been in a state of time like this before. People who lived through the depression and the world wars and the pandemic of 1918, they've lived through something like this. But uh, most of us here on earth right now have never lived through something like this. And uh, so I found it affected everything. It affected my headspace it affected our crew's headspace and it affected the documentary participants who are not actors who are not Mm. people i can just say hey i I know the world's crazy but here are your lines and put your costume (laughs) on and go say this right yeah i'm dealing with real people who are also really affected by this strange experience that's happening Mm. in the world so we had just started filming we were only a few weeks into filming the actuality part of our documentary. So I'll just explain for any viewers. I know you know this. So documentary, you film the actuality, which is where you're out with the real people, um, getting what's happening to them. And then you have B-roll, and that's where the miniatures came in. So we were just a few weeks into filming our actuality when the pandemic hit. We were Mm. shut down for three months. And then we were lucky here in Nova Scotia, we could film in that summer of 2020, as long as you were filming under COVID safe conditions. Mm. And so basically we had to contact people in my documentary participant, Bernie had had a baby in the, in the meantime. So, mm. uh, we were also filming with older people. So we had mm. to make sure everyone was safe. We were really lucky that it was summertime and we could film outside and keep everyone safe. But I didn't want to have anybody wearing masks. I didn't want there to be any depiction of the pandemic because there's nothing about the pandemic that is in my film. I wanted my film to remain 
timeless. Mm. Um, so people were game to continue filming, crew and participants, but everybody was affected. No one was the same, myself included. So, um, so the film I thought I was going to make versus the film I have made, I think are two completely different things. Mm. What are some of the things that changed for you? Uh, well, I think, um, well, even just minor things like shooting locations, you know, mm. like in some cases we filmed outside with people and we, uh, to make them safe, we kind of had them sitting, uh, far apart. Uh, so even just the look of that and then how that distance would have affected, um, the scene between these real people. Mm. And then for myself, I mean, I think I just, um, I don't know about you, but my focus has not been the same since this pandemic hit. So mm. usually, you know, I'm a bit of a Clydesdale horse when it comes to work. Like you can put the reins on me and I kind of, I just get to work. And uh, I found through the pandemic focus was such an issue for me. I felt like, you know, my Clydesdale was out in the field. The mind <laughs> of my Clydesdale was out in the field wanting to just run around and, and, uh, and I had to chase after my own brain and really put the ropes on it and make myself settle down and focus. Mm. Mm. Wow. God. <laughs> I, I, you know what? For me, too. Um, I, too? I was working on it. Yeah, exactly. I was working on this short. Oh, well, I had this idea and it was like, right smack as the pandemic started and with everything with George Floyd and that whole mix was going on. And I was making this film that it it's set in the past, but I shot it in a way that it could be whenever. And I was lucky that, you know, I made it small. So when it happened, uh, okay, I think first of everything was locked down and then you couldn't even do anything. And then you could gather, I think we up to eight or 10 people. And we just had that amount of people working on the project. So we kind of just, you know, I think, and, and I think maybe there's something similar that you experienced. The story we wanted to tell was important to everyone that wanted to make this story. So we just pretty much sucked it up and decided like, we're going to do it. Was, was that something similar for you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, uh, thank God for, um, hell is other people sometimes and heaven is other people sometimes, you know? And, uh, so yeah, when I think of just the bravery and generosity of the documentary participants going ahead with stuff as well as our crew. So yeah. after we finished shooting the actuality, I went into the editing uh, studio with uh, my editor, Sarah Byrne, who's wonderful. I love working with her. And we put together an assembly of the actuality footage. And the assembly was what I used to put together a shot list to then go into, we had to film the miniatures. And to film the miniatures, we filmed down at the Culture Link in downtown Halifax, that studio. And we had a month uh, worth of time to shoot the miniatures. We had 18 different sets that wow. Shelley Acker and Iris Sutherland had built based on the Lantel family story. And we had a month to shoot them at the culture link. And right before we started filming the miniatures, we went into another lockdown and I, same thing, there was only seven of us at the studio. So we could f continue filming safely 
And I know other productions that were out and about uh, on locations trying to film and they would get people calling the cops on them and um, they would have to shut down. Um, for me, I would wake up in the morning, I would walk from my house in the North End down to the Culture Link. It would feel like a ghost town because no one would be out. It would feel so weird. I would open the little door of the Culture Link studio and I would disappear behind it into this big black box studio where we had these lights fixated on these tiny sets and we would all work together each day. And, you know, Shelley and Iris were at that time were coming in from Kentville each day. They had wow. never worked on a, on a film or television set before and they were consummate professionals. Mm. And, but every day, you know, my producer Jess would be, she didn't even come to the studio cause she wanted to keep everybody safe, but mm. I would be getting reports um, of like what's happening to the numbers today. Is it going to go into even more serious lockdown? Is everybody safe? So even though we were able to continue filming, it was like this was hanging over our head. Mm. Every I know you're relating. Uh, so the, and and when everybody decided each every day to make the decision to come into work and to continue the work, it was um, yeah, it blew me away. It was so generous um and we really bonded together through that yeah i felt like you know filming during the pandemic do you remember those like 1960s spy movies i think it was get smart and there was a guy he'd be running through the hallway and there'd be doors he'd just get through the door and the door would close and he'd run yeah. and i that's what the whole filming experience <laughs> felt like for me of like we're just trying to make it and somehow <laughs> We just made it, you know. Mm, mm. So, very how did you feel when you know? Okay, you locked it. How do you feel having a locked version of Bernie Landio? <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel really good about it. It's taken a long time. Uh, I also feel really good for um, all the people who worked on it, including Shelley and Iris, who made the miniature sets. Um, they took on this amazing undertaking that they had never done before. Mm. And we can talk if you want to about their specific different jobs on the sets or, and how they constructed the sets, which was interesting. I also mm -hmm. feel really good for Bernie Langell uh, and the Langell family. You know, it's been a long time for him and them to be part of this project and it hasn't been easy. This is, um, you know, for Bernie, he kind of started this whole project thinking, his grandfather died 15 years before he was ever born and he never met his grandfather. He grew up hearing the story. And when we first started filming, he would talk about how it had affected his family, but it didn't affect him. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, I don't know how that can even be possible that it didn't affect you. Um, and as we be went along filming, he realized, Oh no, this incident has affected me as well. It's affected three mm. generations of my family and it has affected me as well. And a couple of Bernie's uncles uh, participated in the filming with us as well. And which was immensely brave and generous of them because they were the sons of Corporal Bernard Langell. They, they were supremely affected by what had happened. Their entire lives had been affected. And so to participate in the filming with us, uh, was immensely generous and but it was also really difficult for them it was mm. it was triggering for them to go back into the past and and revisit this 
Yeah. Yeah. No. So um, you had this, you said you always, you usually start with story, then concept, but this one was the reverse. How did you, I I mean, the story is intriguing, um, captivating too, but why did you feel this was the right story to tell this way? Because the story was so strange. So in a big, broad overview for, for anyone who doesn't know, so essentially Bernie's grandfather was a corporal who served on the base of CFB Gagetown in New Brunswick. And he either had friends over one night or he went out with friends drinking. But either there's different versions of the story depending on what family member is telling it. He told his wife not to wait up. Um... And that he would give the friends a drive home. And when he woke up in the middle of the night, when she woke up in the middle of the night, um, she woke up in a pool of his blood. And there was a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. And then a number of odd things happened after that, including um, Bernie Corporal Langell was then taken to the Oromocto ER. And uh, there was a immediate order for air evacuation to get him to Halifax. He was in critical condition with a, mm-hmm. a fractured skull. There was the person who was supposed to order that evacuation didn't, went to lunch. There was a five-hour delay in getting this critically ill patient uh, into an airplane mm-hmm. uh, to take him to Halifax. Then the military doctor that was put in charge of him assaulted him and was overheard to say, you're going to die today. Then when he finally lands in Halifax, the ambulance taking him to the Halifax hospital went over a series of train tracks and the train smashed into the ambulance. Corporal Langell finally makes it that evening to the Halifax hospital, uh, but by then surgery is too late and he dies a couple of days later. And the effect on the Langell family was immediate and profound. I mean, essentially, Annie, his wife, and their children were tossed off the base in pretty short order. Um, The children, uh, two of them left home in under a year. Um, The family faced a lot of issues in terms of addiction and anger in this pursuit for justice. So it was a weird, what happened to Corporal Langell was weird and bizarre. And this family had been left in the dark for 50 years without answers. There was a short-lived military investigation into what had happened. And so the military investigated itself and found (laughs) that it wasn't responsible for what had happened to Corporal Mm. Langell. But even what had happened in those military boards of inquiry had been kept secret from the family for about um, 50 years uh, until Annie wrote um, uh, decades after the event happened to get some sort of information, and she would receive some documents, but there was a lot of things that were blacked out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when things are left to fester in the dark, when people are left with an unresolved situation, um, things fester and grow. And that's Mm. exactly what had happened to this family. So I knew that this was a fan, this was essentially a story about, um, less of a who done it and more of a what done it. What did this to this family that mm. caused this intergenerational trauma? And uh, Bernie was on the, as we were filming, was on the verge of having his own child. And so the question started to shape, was he 
going to pass on the story of trauma that he had grown up with that had been a weighty thing for him to carry as a small child? Mm. Or was the story going to become something different when he learned the true effects of what had happened to his family? And I, I don't know about you, Israel, but I kind of relate to, you know, um, my parents died when I was really young and I wasn't given my own family story. Everybody learns the story of who you are from your family. And I only learned uh, still to this day, bits and pieces and fragments where I try and put together the story of me and the people that I come from. Mm. And it was the same with Bernie. He had grown up with this very strange story. Um, and he only knew bits and fragments of it, but he could see its effect. And uh, he was, he, he didn't believe it had affected him. And yet it, our family stories affect all of us mm. and uh, they are strange uh, inheritances that we are given. And uh, when those stories are, I guess, warm and positive, that's one thing, but when they're fractured and traumatic mm. and filled with pain, um, those stories and their effect on our identity uh, is profound. And so mm. I was very much drawn to um, this story and its themes. And I think a lot of people can relate to this idea of family stories and their effect. I see you nodding your head. Yes, 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 yes. 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 So. No, like, because when you said he was like, it didn't affect him. It's one of those things where it's affecting you. You just don't know it is. And then one day the scales fall on like, oh my gosh, of course, you know, this is why I've been acting this way or I've been reacting this way to this thing. And, you know, so... Yeah. Um, okay, so that's the story. Now let's talk of the process, right? Um, I remember watching the trailer for it and it was fascinating. And I kept thinking, how was this done? So let's talk about, you know, the different people and how these pieces were made. And of course, how Kevin shot this thing. Kevin Frazier, yeah. Mm. Um, DOP, uh, East Coast DOP that has shot uh, many uh, films in this uh region of the world. And I've been lucky enough that he shot, uh, save for one short, he shot every film I've ever done and he's a great collaborator. So how we went about doing everything? Well, um, we knew, um, like in order for Bernie to find out, so Bernie had a series of questions. We started with a series of questions that Bernie had. He had a few documents. He knew a bit about his family story, but he had a number of questions. And so we took his questions and try, uh, tried to find out whatever we could. We hired a researcher, Tara Doyle, between her and me and Jess. Um, we found more documents. We kind of... Um, started a we would follow bernie's questions and we would find more documents we also made a call to the public saying we're trying to find out any any information about this corporal langell who served on gagetown in 1968 does anyone know anything and from that we were contacted by a couple of people who actually appeared in the film so one thing kind of led to another a certain one kind of question that bernie had would lead us to a certain kind of medical expert or mm. you know a neighbor who knew the family this kind of thing Bernie would have had to have quit his job and, and done this full time uh, in order to find out some of the stuff that we found out. So essentially, we took his questions, found the people that could answer those questions, and then took him to meet those people where he conducted an interview with those people. 
And because he was doing these interviews, the interviews themselves were quite uh, static looking. A lot of times we would try and uh, film the interviews uh, looking through glass just to get another kind of visual metaphor in there. Um, but because the interviews themselves were static, and then I also knew we had to go film these miniature sets, which are inanimate objects and do not move, that we were going to have to have the camera moving all the time in the miniature sets, that the camera would be the movement and the light of the sets, the lighting on the sets would be the expression because we also use uh, figurines and which are not alive. And so in order to give them expressions, the lighting was really important. Hmm. One thing we used, the short had taught us a lot um, it was really challenging to put uh, the camera inside a tiny set to get a close-up of an even tinier object in a tiny set. Mm. And that limited the kind of movements we could do when we did the short film. By the time we came to doing the feature film, our producer, Jessica Brown, had found out about this lens called the probe lens, which is a long, skinny lens that you can yeah. put on the camera. And that just, whoa, that opened up the world <laughs> to our movement, thankfully. So we right. were able to keep the camera continuously. It's very rare to have a still shot in the film of anything involving a miniature. The camera is almost always moving. Mm. And then, um, you know, we we just knew that we wanted the world to look uh, moody and subversive. One of my main um, influences as a documentarian is Errol Morris. I love him. I've loved him for years. And at that time, he also had out a series called, uh, it's on Netflix, called Wormwood, about a man who's trying to find out about his father, who was a CIA agent who died under odd circumstances. Mm. So there was a lot of parallels between um, that series and our story. And for me, part of that was uh, uh, an inspiration. I also knew we used the... Um, the direct eye, the, the Interatron. So essentially we could do interviews with Bernie in studio where he's looking directly into camera. That's completely um, an invention of Errol Morris's that I had always wanted to use. Um, so we used that. And then another thing was like, um, because we were the ones taking Bernie's questions and going out to find the information, it's like, how do we deliver this information that we have found? There was a couple of issues. One, we wanted to do it uh, with care for Bernie. So even mm -hmm. though we were finding stuff out and then getting him to discover that on camera, he's also a human being that we cared about that we didn't want to do harm to. So we enlisted the services of a psychologist called Dr. John Whalen. And uh, he met with Bernie at the beginning of Bernie's journey. And he met with Bernie at the end of Bernie's journey. And the visits to him are also in the film. And so he kind of helped us help Bernie prepare himself and then help Bernie uh, process it at the end. And then we uh, took care to um, speak with Bernie before and after anybody that he would go see just to check in and make sure he was doing okay. But uh, so, for instance, our researcher had found out the military doctor who assaulted um, his grandfather, the, um, um, Captain J.J. Uh, St. Germain, uh, the family had known nothing of what had happened to this doctor. And our researcher, Tara Doyle, ended up finding this whole paper trail of newspaper articles that uh, told this kind of interesting story of what had happened to this doctor um, who had assaulted Corporal Langell. 
So we had a studio day with Bernie where I prepared him of, hey, we found out some information about this doctor. I'm going to give you a series of articles. I'd like for you to read them on camera and uh, give me your impressions. Um, so, so that's how uh, I kind of dealt with um, giving Bernie materials that we had found based on his questions. Mm. And we built a little tiny set in order to deliver. A lot of information came out in letters and articles and other things from the past. So mm. I asked Shelly and Iris to build a little tiny set that was basically a tiny mailbox on the top of a mountain. And in the film, we go to that set every time Bernie gets uh, an article from the past. We call I started calling it Mail from the Past. Um, so that's how we kind of dealt with delivering that information to him. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a lot of care, especially with, you know, having sessions with a psychologist and uh, preparing before and then at the end too. That's very, very thoughtful. But of course, it's you. You always thoughtful. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So then the the sets, the, the little people, the, the little miniature uh, figurines, for your film, what was the process of getting those guys ready? And that was uh, that was an interesting process. I mean, one uh, so Shelley and Iris built eighteen different sets based on the Langell family story, and um, so we had one set that was the military base. We had another set that was the married quarters on the base that the Langell family lived in. We had the exterior of that, and we had the rooms inside the Langell home to recreate um, things like that. Um, the Langell family was generous enough, uh, some of them to provide us with photos and home movies. Um, but often you would just kind of in these old photos or old home movies, you would just get like a glimpse of like, you know, one part of one wall of something and you would go, I think I see a picture, uh, or I think a bookcase is over there so that they could put these Langell homes to rooms together. And in fact, when we were creating the Larry Langell set, so Larry was one of the adult sons of Bernie Langell. And uh, in his apartment that he owned as an adult, um, Shelly and Iris just worked from a home movie, a fuzzy, blurry home movie to put together the Larry apartment set. And they did such a good job that our Bernie Langell had visited that same apartment when he was a child. And when he first saw the miniature set of Larry's apartment, his jaw dropped. He said it's wow. the apartment that he walked into as a child. Um so they did an amazing uh, job on the sets, and um, and each of them too kind of has their area of specialty. Shelley is really good at um, architecture and engineering, so she could kind of construct the sets. And Iris Sutherland, we call her the Mistress of Blood and Gore and Decay. So uh, she like she would put in all the details and. The great thing about working with artists who create in miniature is that they are obsessed with details. So as much as I think I'm kind of organized on the ball and obsessed with details, they uh, outshone me. So Iris always had interesting questions to ask me that I would then ask um, either Bernie or get him to ask one of his relatives. Things like, you know, um, did Larry Langell smoke? Um, how much do people remember him smoking a day? Because then Iris would say to me, that affects the paint color on the wall and the shadows of the paint color on the walls. Um, even things like if there were plants in their home, like how often do we think these people watered uh, their plants? Uh, wow. Things like that. Um, 
So it was really interesting to watch uh, their process. And as a mm. team, they really, um, you know, what one couldn't do, the other could and, and vice versa. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. That's a lot of detail. That's um, a lot okay, of detail. Okay. So you, you have the story, you have everything shot during the pandemic film is done. You, you had the world premiere hot dogs. How was that experience for you? It was, um, very, well, Israel, I mean, you know, when a film of yours premieres, it's like a mixture of like, oh, this is really exciting. And oh my God, I just want, <laughs> I just want it to be over. You know, it's like, it's wonderful and excruciating all at the same time. And I was no different. Um, it was really great that we could have its the film's world premiere at Hot Docs. It's a great place to launch your film's entry into the world. It's the biggest documentary festival in North America. Mm. And because the short had played there, we were really hoping our feature would play there. Um, for that, just Jess and I were going up, and we were really touched to be joined by our executive producer, Teresa McGinnis, as well, Sarah Byrne, our editor, came up. Kevin A. Frazier, our cinematographer, came up. And Melanie Wood, who was our production manager, she also came up for that. So it was amazing to have a lot of our team there for that. And Toronto was still also in kind of a state of half lockdown. So the world was still weird. Um, but it was really good. Oh, and Iris and Shelley came up for our hot dogs mm -hmm. premiere as well. And uh, that was great. And they joined us in the Q&A afterwards. And the Q&A was really gratifying because um, people seemed to really get that, um, that thematically this film is ultimately about um, inter intergenerational trauma and family stories. So there was a lot of questions about that. But also Shelley and Iris joined me for the Q&A. And so the, lots of questions went to them about the miniatures. And they will be joining me uh, for the Finn Festival gala presentation of our film. They'll also be there for the Q&A, which will be great because people love to know um, how these miniatures were built. Um, and it took... It took Shelley and Iris um, all told about a year and a half to make the 18 different sets that were used. And they also had to be constructed in a way that they were meant for filming. So every wall had to be able to come off. The ceiling had to be able to come off. Um, yeah. And, and when we show close-ups of tiny things within the set mm -hmm. and it holds up on the big screen, that is a real testament to their work, I think detail 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 <laughs> right. okay so um the film it's you know doing its thing now um i know you have this thing where you're honed in on one project and then okay it's done and then you jump to something else do you have something in the works or are you just going to take a break for now well I I don't know how you have found, so my process changed a lot during then my creative process changed a lot during the pandemic so in normal times you know we would have uh, the Bernie Langell film on the go in production and we would have uh, lots of other little irons in the fire is is the freelance way and I know you know what I'm talking about because you work all the time on multiple different projects and that's usually my way too and then I found when the pandemic hit it was like I just, the only thing I can concentrate right on right now is trying to get this uh, Bernie feature done. Mm. So, uh, so we did that, but now, um, 
I do, I am working on, uh, so both Jessica Brown and I, we run a female-owned production company called Peep Media, and this year is our 10th year that we have been together. Wow. Yeah, and uh, we both come from the world of scripted and non-scripted, so it's interesting to consider how much the industry has changed in the last 10 years and then the last five years and then the last two years mm. and even the last week. There's been a lot of change. Part of the reason Jess and I started our production company 10 years ago was like, we're going to give ourselves opportunities that the status quo demographic is not willing to give us. Mm. And part of the reason that we started out in documentary is because traditionally uh, women are given more opportunity to direct documentary because there's less money. So, um, uh, so we kind of went for whatever little opening we could find to jam our foot in the door to start mm. getting our work done. Um, and now things are opening up a little bit more, um, not as much as I think sometimes um, um, the status quo hysteria would lead you to believe. There's still a long way to go. Status quo hysteria. <laughs> You know, there's still a long way to go in terms of people from marginalized demographics being able to uh, get their work done. Mm. Um, so, uh, so I'm currently working on a project, a scripted project. I'm writing a screenplay. Um, so we want Pete Media to be both scripted and non-scripted non fluid. Um, so we are trying to expand that way. And the other way we're trying to expand is we have been uh, putting little seeds out there in the community with people who, um, whose work interests us, who kind of like us, uh, aren't, uh, the status quo doesn't first think of to give an opportunity to. Mm. And uh, we're trying to see if we can expand helping other people get um their work uh, realized mm. so we have a few irons in the fire that way stuff that uh, that's our specifically that we're working on and uh outreach stuff that we're doing and so i'm 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 excited to consider what the next 10 years of peep could possibly be um it's kind of been great to as weird and difficult as it is to have your own production company and i know you know what i'm talking about um it's great because whatever little bit of money you have to pay someone, you can decide where that money is going to go and who it's going to go to. Mm. And Jess and I, for the last 10 years on our own shoots, we have been the bosses and we have, um, you know, hired the crew and have been really fortunate to have the collaborators that we have had. And, um, a couple of months ago I was part of this writing program and it was, uh, taught by this uh, kind of outrageously misogynistic instructor. Wow. And I hadn't been around that kind of um, uh, gender bigotry in a I mean, I face it every day in little or bigger forms, but I hadn't kind of uh, been around that kind, uh, that steeped in a work environment for a while, in part because Jess and I have been able to get our own work done. Mm. And our, and when I was there with this instructor, I remember thinking, that's over. We're not doing that anymore. I don't know mm. what you're doing, dude, but we're not doing that anymore. And, uh, and I realized, wow, the last 10 years, Jess and I getting our own work done, it's really um, kept dealing with a lot of that stuff. Uh, at bay, and I'm grateful for it.
So mm. onward, upward to the future. And yeah. Wow. So it's like you've learned all these lessons for 10 years and you're looking for people that are in the same vein or in the same spirit as what you are interested in and making the path a little less difficult for them than it was for you. Uh, that's, man, you know, you're always so inspiring every time I talk to you because it's like, you know, it's really helpful. Like when you come and then you're doing your thing and you're learning like, so the next time you do it, it's going to be just a little bit better and just a little bit better. And then you are helping these people that haven't, you know, you're taking 10 years and kind of scrunching it down and handing it to these people. So that's beautiful. And I can't say what peep media is. And also, I think your film resonates this much because even though it's factual and stuff, there's still this scripted feel to it. It's, uh, it's like you're bringing this storytelling, I guess, um, ways of storytelling from scripted into your into your factual into your documentaries and I, I think that's why it really resonates also this story is fascinating one of the sets that stood out for me in the short because I've not seen the feature yet but in the short um, was the train the railway oh my god like I mean it's it's not the thing but it felt like you were then I, I can't wait to see what the feature is it's gonna look like <laughs> that's so great i i got i totally um um i'm gonna get you a link because you should i would love for you to see it and i would love for your thoughts um and yeah you're totally right like i started out as a writer uh, uh, writing poetry that was all i was ever gonna do and then I had a period of writer's block and that led to me writing for theater. And uh, my poetry mentor at the time was disgusted with me that I was leaving poetry to write for theater. And then when I started writing for theater, I started acting for theater. And then I started to uh, go into the world of TV and film. And then I started direct and then I started doing documentary. And every time I left to do a different, every time I started incorporating a different medium or mode or role uh, for a long time I worried maybe I'm just flighty maybe I'm just not a serious enough person that I keep going from different thing to different thing and then I was like nuts to that like mm. if you can do more than one thing how lucky is that and actually right? to, to survive in the arts you must do more than one thing and to survive mm. in the arts on the east coast you have to do more than one thing <laughs> and if you can do more than one thing I know you know this too like if you're a uh, if you're a writer and you act, there's nothing like saying other people's dialogue, whether if it's really great, you learn from that. If it's really bad, you learn from that. So that when you go back in the writing room, mm. you have learned from that. There's nothing like being an actor and putting yourself before the camera and, and feeling so vulnerable, experiencing that vulnerability that comes mm. with being in front of the camera to place yourself in your documentary participants shoes and to remember that it is a courageous thing to put yourself in front of the camera. So I find all, I, I say I have five in practical careers. Um, and I think all of my jobs inform one another and, and my background of scripted and non-scripted also informs. And so, yeah, I think part of what gives my voice its, my, its distinctiveness is that it is blended with scripted and non-scripted. You know, 
what, what you said just made me remember something in South Africa. I can't say the name of this meal properly, but the whole idea is that you put all, you know, like whatever is left over into this soup and it tastes amazing. Like, I don't know how it's done, but it tastes amazing. And, you know, when you think of it, it's like, oh, you know, so we have some leftover chicken and some leftover this thing and we put it all in this pot and then it's made and and then you eat it with like rice or whatever, but it's amazing. And I feel that is how it is when you can do just little. And, And by the way, so it also helps because when you're trying to explain to say like a technician or a camera person or a DP or whatever, you have an idea of how to speak to them and what they understand, or at least have an idea of what they are even talking about. So I, I don't think it's uh, it's being flighty if you have all these skill sets. I, I think it's a gift. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. One time actually on a, on a reality show, I took the, it's the only time I've ever taken the job of production coordinating, although I've done a lot of coordinating in my own work and stuff, but officially I was a production coordinator on this show. What a difficult job. I am so grateful that I've done that job because now anytime we have a production coordinator, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. you. (laughs) I think, I think the more jobs you can do, you just, you appreciate the village it takes to Mm. help you realize, uh, uh, your vision, you know? And, uh, as we know, both being directors, like, you, you want to go in with a plan and then you want to be open enough for, because you have assembled this group of people. So you obviously must respect their talents. Um, so if anybody's generous enough to share ideas um, and you can benefit from that, well, you have to create an environment that um, lets people free enough to, to do that, you know, mm. and ultimately you're the captain of the ship. So if someone's got to make the final decision, you will do it. Mm. But um, to kind of uh, have an environment where the people around you feel invested in what they and appreciated for what they are doing. Oh my God. It's so much work to do the work we do. Mm. Um, so we, we need that. Yeah. Well, Jackie, first off, I wanted to say, you know, thanks for making time in your vacation to talk to me. This has been awesome. <laughs> Thank and you for talking to me. I cannot wait to see Benny Langell wants to know what happened to Benny Langell. Because I've seen Benny Langell wants to know who killed Benny Langell. <laughs> Um, that was 2018 yeah. now it's 2022 <laughs> and i can't wait to see your film either so oh yeah um so you know i like 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 we actually talked about is this whole doing a lot of things i i i like i write and direct but i also kind of do some producing when i do but i i wanted to get more into producing kind of like what you are doing in media and I, I saw this book. Well, actually, it's a series of books, and I want to turn it into a TV show someday. And I reached out to the author, and then we talked. And I'm like, so, well, my whole thing is... Because, you know, when a stranger is like, so I'm going to make these things always like, I don't know. Like, I don't know you from about soap. Why are we talking about this? So I said, okay, do you have something small that we could just make together? So you, at least you know what my process is. And then we we started talking about it. And then I got the project and the script was beautiful, uh, but it was too big because we were going to do a film five project. So we had to shrink it. And then while we we're talking about it, um, she said that since they were kids, 
mm, she's always had this idea of writing and then her sister always wanted to direct this thing so i was like okay cool like because we needed a writer director uh producer team and usually it's like writer director and a producer but we decided okay to go into the project as a three-person team and yeah i, I can't walk to wait to work with them again i can't wait to have everyone see a walk in the sun that's a film we made and it it explores the nuances of an interracial relationship and it's just so beautiful and you know, I, I think, actually, I don't think, I really believe everything is in shades of gray. There's no, like, black and white. Like, it's not binary. So I love how she wrote that film. It's not like, oh, this is bad or this is good. It's just, this is life. And, you know, interpret it how, how you want and, and just, you know, see it for yourself and see what it might be like so i can't wait for people to see it and um like you <laughs> we're actually working on the feature based on the shot so oh, i'm awesome. always copying everything you do jackie <laughs> maybe i'm copying you that's so great we are it seems like we have the same we want to facilitate other people's talent our own talent find arrangement i'm looking for mutually beneficial arrangements that's mm. what i'm looking for mm. it sounds like you're doing the same thing wow jackie it's always great to talk to you thanks for always sharing always being so open and thanks for all the awesome things you do and thanks for coming to the sanctuary today oh thank you thanks for having me on thanks for all the things you do i really appreciate it oh and the last thing i will mention is if you buy a ticket to you can get an online ticket for bernie langell but if you uh, want get an in-person ticket, uh, it's a gala presentation on September 16th at 7 p.m. And the ticket gets you admission to a reception afterwards at the Cable Wharf restaurant where some of the miniature sets will be on display. And Iris and Shelley will be there, too, if anybody wants to talk I to I saw you put that on your Instagram uh, story. I was like, okay, cool. That is so, 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 so <laughs> cool. So, yeah, yeah, be sure. I mean, you can see it online because, you know... I wanted to let you go, but I have to mention is like a lot of bad things happened during the pandemic, but also a lot of good things came out from it. Cause one of the things that came out from it is all most, at least I want to say all, but at least most festivals making their festival hybrid now. Cause you know, when you go to the festival, especially when you're going to the market, you can watch maybe two, maybe three films for the whole week. But now that it's hybrid, you can do all your meetings. And then in the evening, you just watch all these films online, which is beautiful. That's what Hot Talks was like. Everybody <laughs> want meetings were on Zoom. And then you were free just to go watch films and to just take a chance on Go like, oh, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm downtown. I'm going to go watch this. Yeah, yeah. It, that, I totally agree. Puts the emphasis back on the stories themselves, which is why we all got into this in the first place. Mm, so, mm, yeah. Yeah, man. Jackie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.